Derek, what is going on, man? Oh, man, yeah. Not a lot. A lot Not a whole lot. <laughs> lots of work. <laughs> lots of work. Hey, um, thank you very much for coming on this podcast of mine that I've just been starting getting up in the startup phases. I think you're like my ninth guest to uh, be on here. And I'm kind of just like interviewing people from all walks of life. And I find you to be a very interesting individual because you got a job that not many people have. But before we jump into that, I got to say, you've changed a lot. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been like yeah, I look different now. You, I think I finally got a tattoo. Uh. <laughs> yeah, finally, right? Um, I I remember going to high school with you and everything, and you were really into kind of that that punk stuff and everything, and I was oh, more yeah. of like a metalhead. And then um, out of high school, uh, we went our own like ways with life and everything and kind of briefly reconnected because um, you you were married right before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was. And then both those relationships ended. And I think yeah. we were definitely with the wrong people. Yeah. <laughs> if I just must say, because it seems like after you got divorced, you became like who I remember you being yeah. in high school. Yeah, it was a straight back to punk rock, man. It was great. <laughs> yeah, you were, like, when I remember you came over once, I was like, Derek, you're, like, all crisp, clean, yeah, clean cut. Like fresh out of the like military. I'm like, yeah, how, like, here I am. <clears throat> yeah, how, how long were you out of the military when... Jeez, uh, uh, let's see, I got out in, uh, I got out in uh, December of 2012. So shortly after that is when we started coming over here. We yeah. were doing that that horror movie or the horror horror junkies stuff. of Utah yeah, thing, thing way yeah. back when. Yeah, yeah, that stuff. Uh, yeah, so I was pretty much fresh out of the military, you know, and working at the refinery and not really doing anything too fun or yeah, and it, it had nothing going for me. <laughs> you know? it, in the military, you were a corpsman, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was a medic for Marine Corps Infantry. And you did that for how long? Like it was a five active years, and then I did four years of active reserves. Oh, so wow. So a grand total of nine years. And how many times did you get deployed overseas? Uh, four times. So once to Iraq, uh, did the 31st Mew to Okinawa, Japan. That one was fun. We just got, uh, like, our whole battalion of Marines got on a boat and floated around, stopped at a bunch of different places, like... Singapore, like South Korea, mainland Japan, like Philippines, like that one was fun. And then I did two tours to sing in Afghanistan. Oh, wow. So you've, you've been all over the world, kind yeah. of. I mean, you've been to the <laughs> Middle East, out to Japan. Um, what the hell's the Middle East like? Uh, it's hot. You get shot at and people try and blow you up. Dude, right. I, yeah, I can only imagine. And being a, a medic for the Marines, that's you've probably seen some gnarly... Yeah, I stuff. saw a good deal of in, like injuries all across the board, loss of limbs, uh, gunshot wounds, like all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah, it, was, it sucked, but at the same time, it was fun. You know, got it there with all my some of my best friends in the world. Uh, we still talk like almost every week. We have a that, that signal app, and all my snipers from one seven were all in there. So we all get. I probably have missed messages right now, but we all just reconnect and talk all the time. It's pretty great. Uh, so, you, you know, you make some of your best friends in the worst situations. And, yeah, we've been sticking around. It's been 10 years now, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, man, I can only imagine. And so getting out of the military and returning to civilian life, you went to work for a refinery? Yeah, so I was working at the Chevron Refinery here in North Salt Lake. Oh, uh, really? Part of RailServe, the rail, in-yard railroad switching. So I was a switchman. I was just guiding the, you know, the locomotive, backing up, pulling carts, moving them around. I mean, it wasn't a bad job. Like they paid well and it was fine. 
uh, it was just repetitive and boring because it's the same exact thing every single day. I'm surprised that you didn't go into, because I know um, I, I out of high school went to like EMT school and then I went to the fire academy and everything. And a lot of people that were in there were also from like military type stuff. Yeah. Is there a reason that you well, chose I, not to do I like... Did, I did do the EMT programs. Okay. And while I was working for RailServe, I have like still in the, uh, the reserves. I was looking into like different medical programs and then I did actually start going to like slick, trying to get all my generals and all that stuff knocked out. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's when I kind of fell into what I'm doing now. Like, you know, I was in school. My cousin was uh, like trying to get me to hang out a little bit more because I really had no hobbies or nothing to do. He was like, hey, you should come over to my house and help brew a beer. I'm like, brew a beer. I'm like, I drink beer. Like, you know, <laughs> beer's good. Like, I don't really care how it's made. Well, he got me over to his house. Uh, his garage was you know, like a beautiful setup, a home brewer's like wet dream. You know, he had like these beautiful kettles, like everything, all these like pumps and everything. So not a lot of it was hands-on besides like stirring and adding certain ingredients. Well, I brewed the beer with him and I'm like, this is actually really fun. So it was like every weekend after that for the next like month or two. I had to reconnect with my cousin. You know, he was a Desert Storm veteran, which is really cool. Like someone that I can actually talk to and hang out with. Well, I kept brewing at his house and he got sick of me coming over to his house brewing. So he asked me to watch his house for a week when he went to Hawaii with his now wife, uh, was his girlfriend at the time. And I'm like, all right, I'll watch your house. When he got back, uh, he bought me a homebrew kit. And I'm like, oh, awesome. But he got me this like, you know, just a beginner's kit. But he already, you know, he already taught me how to brew. So I'm like, well, screw this, man. I'm just, <laughs> so I went out and bought a whole bunch of like nice equipment because I still had some money from my deployments. I'm like, you know what? I, th I think I could do this as a job. <laughs> like, like, <let's laughs> so how old are you at this time when you're brewing in these garage basement type uh, deals? So that was uh, December 2012 when I first started home brewing with him. Uh, so I was 23 years old. 23? Yeah. So I got home brewing, uh, started brewing so much, and I was living at my dad's house for a short time. You know, I got out of the military and trying to figure out where we're going to live and everything. Uh, well, I ended up buying all this equipment. Next thing I know, I got like six fermenters full of beer, and I got a hundred plus bottles of all this beer. I'm like, okay, there's no way I can drink all this. Yeah, I was going to say, are you so drinking like, you know this what? yourself? Uh, I'm just going to start handing this out like candy. You know, it was like Halloween for adults. So like, hey, uh, do, you, do you want a six pack or a 12 pack? Like, just bring me back the bottles. Like, yeah, no kidding. I was giving away so much free beer and spending so much money on beer. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should look into what I can do for like a job. So I'm in school, changed my whole like decision on like, hey, you know what? I don't want to do medical school anymore. Like I found out there's brewing schools that the GI Bill pays for. Oh, really? So I'm like, oh, my God. Well, I'll just knock out these prereqs at Slick. Yeah, prereqs took me, I don't know, a year and a half to knock everything out, got my associates. And I'm like, okay, well, now let's focus on biology and chemistry because those are like, you know, the top two. I didn't even really think about math until halfway through the program. I'm like, oh, well, shit, now I got to go do calculus. <laughs> like, oh, no. So where's <laughs> where are these programs at? So there, there's quite a Slick? few. There's uh, not at Slick. Utah doesn't offer any, but there's quite a few online, uh, like the Siebel Institute. Uh, I have two different certificates and brewing degrees from uh, the International Brewers and Distillers Program. Uh, that one's ran out of the UK, but you do the online program, you study this massive book. 
then you can take the test. Uh, they do have a testing location here in Utah, which surprisingly is at BYU. Oh my God. It's <laughs> so a, the test, the, yeah. So the I Mormon up. school. And so I showed up and I'm like <laughs> looking around and like surrounded by all these Mormon kids. And I'm just, you know, I'm heavily tattooed for the most part. Not as heavy as somebody. <laughs> yeah. But I'm in there and they're, you know, just getting stared at like, what the hell is this guy doing here? Like, I'm just here to take my brewing exam. Oh, God, that's hilarious. I got the first one and then I got the second one shortly after. I did one of the Siebel courses for water chemistry and uh, that was was incredibly tough. I didn't think there was that much going into the water chemistry when it comes to beer, but balancing out all your calcium sulfates, your calcium chloride, all these different brewing salts and mineral, like the minerality of water. It plays a huge part in your final product. And I, I didn't think that when I was homebrewing. When I was homebrewing, I'm like, oh, yeah, and I would just you know put all this grain together, let it sit for a little bit at the right temperature and sugar water. I boil that, throw a bunch of hops in because at the time it was all like that's all I had was IPAs. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just throw all the hops in at one time. Fuck it. Why not? So uh, when you were doing that, did you have like a mentor or were you watching like YouTube videos or mainly my cousin, like my cousin, when it comes to him, when he wants to learn something, like he dedicates everything to that. And he digs so into like in depth with the entire program, whatever he's doing. And uh, he taught me everything, which was really nice. It was, you know, a, a speaking book, a beer encyclopedia for me. Oh, that's good. So I was very fortunate having him teach me because I don't think I would have gotten nearly as far as fast as I have without him teaching me. And, and then, how, how old was he? Uh, so or my cousin, he? uh, he's about 14, 15 years older than I am. Okay. So I know he's, uh, I know he's in his forties now. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're learning how to brew this beer and then you're actually going to school for this, which I had no idea there was even degrees offered. Yeah, there, there's actually like a the UC Davis in California offers a brewmaster program. It's like a two year program that when you get out, you shouldn't like have the knowledge in place to actually start out as a head brewer or brewmaster like that level. And at this time, are you still working at the rail yard or have you transitioned into... When I started school, uh, the GI Bill, they they pay you monthly to go to school. That's part of like one of the perks from the military as long as you survive. (laughs) Oh yeah, well, uh, we'll pay for your school and we'll give you a housing allowance. So I was working part-time at GNC. I just, yeah, just kind of, you know, they pay a little bit extra here and there or whatever, a little bit of commission. Well, I stopped working at GNC when I got... Uh, Is that the, got the health supplement place? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, the vitamins. So I got I got a job offer at Uinta on the packaging line when I was, you know, doing all my prereqs and trying to get all these programs done. Well, Uinta was hiring, so I applied and they hired me right away. And so I was working on the packaging line, just putting beer into bottles and cans. That's really all I was doing. I uh, did that for about nine months, and the old brewmaster, Kevin Ely, like, he, he knew that I had interest in moving into the brew house and into the cellar and things like that. Well, he gave me the chance. I did an interview, and I did a working interview. Well, I did really well, apparently, so he offered me the job, and then like a week later, uh, he announced that he was leaving Uinta. So I'm like, dude, you just hired me, Yeah, and you're leaving Uinta to go start your own thing. I'm like, all right, well... Who's my boss now? <laughs> yeah. So what was the working interview? Did you have to actually like brew a beer for no, them? No, uh, the working interview is more of a more simpler kind of like pieces of work, like uh, hooking up to different tanks, um, 
you know, they weren't going to trust me right away to brew on this 120 barrel batch system. That's oh, yeah. basically fully automated. You know, it's the craziest computer screen ever. You know, got all this stuff going around. I'm like, I don't know what these diagrams are, but. And you're, <laughs> you're still actively going to school for this while yes. you're interviewing for this position yes. and getting this position. And then he ups up and leaves and where do you go from there? So there, I, we just say it kind of hit the ground running. We had a couple of replacement head brewers come in to try and fill the shoes for him. Um, but I was getting trained in the cellar, like the cellar portion of one of these large breweries. That's where all the, you know, the yeast pitching's done, the cleaning of fermentation and bright tank vessels, uh, the filtrations, the cellaring, like it's basically taking care of the beer. I was the beer's babysitter. So as soon as like the brewers are done making the sugar water, they would start knocking out into one of these fermenters that I would have clean and sanitized and ready to go for them. And I would pitch the yeast as they would knock out. Uh, from there, the yeast uh, would start fermentation. Uh, the yeast, would, or the beer would start fermentation. And we would just keep track of it. We would do the lab work on it every day, measuring the density of the wort. Uh, so the amount of sugar that was left in it. So we do what's called like degree Play-Doh. It's a very easy way of measuring the gravity of a beer. So if you have like a like Hopnosh, for example, the starting gravity would be around 16 degree Play-Doh. Well, the finishing should be around two and a half to three degree Play-Doh. That, that two and a half or three degree Play-Doh is the amount of sugars that are still left over or the residual sweetness, which gives the, like, the body of the beer and the mouthfeel. Uh, certain other beers like will finish completely out like the Michelob ultras. Like there's really not any sugar in there. That's why they're so low of the calories. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So it's just the measuring the, the amount of sugars left over in the beer. Uh, I was the beer babysitter for about two and a half, three years. And then they started training me into the brew house. They had two different brew houses at Uinta. They have the Browcon. That's their giant 120 barrel system. That's beautiful. I think I brought you in there and you took some pictures. Of yeah, the I was going to yeah. say, was that about around the time that you brought me in there? Yeah, and so you I, was, I was, gave me that grand tour. And I was, I'm literally like just astonished at how much science and how much goes into this yeah. process. I think <laughs> layman folk think you just so much. <laughs> put like you say, hops in whatever. And there we go. But it's, there's like, I remember seeing that computer screen you were talking about. I was like, dude, this is like, <laughs> yeah. this place is like a spaceship, man. Yeah, yeah. it was crazy. It, it was, I mean, it's really cool to like where I've started, you know, I started working at Uinta, the largest brewery in Utah. Are they the largest? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they, they have the largest system. I know they've been like, their sales have been kind of up and down. They had a couple of issues five or six years ago, but there's, you know, Produ finally producing back up to what those numbers were once upon a time. And they're more focused on uh, local stuff, you know, because that was a big thing. You went to start focusing outside Utah and we we're losing the quality inside Utah. It's like, the, this is, you know, this is where you started. This is your home. Like, you know, the beer here should be the best, like compared to any other state. You know, oh, it's yeah. Like, it's here. This is the home. Uh, after working at Uinta, uh, Got a little bored there. Plus, like, did you get bored because there wasn't a lot of room it, for growth? It was, you know, it's a production facility. You know, we don't really, all the production brewers and production seller operators, you don't get a lot of say in large companies like that. Mm -hmm. That's more of the marketing team. That's why they're, you know, that's why they have marketing teams. They figure out what other people want. They don't really care what the brewers themselves want because they ask the brewers, every brewer would be like, oh, yeah, I want a German Pilsner. Um, any kind of light lager, you know, I want a dunkel, you know, things like that, that people have no idea what it is. Everyone wants sours and IPAs and 
whatever. So, th- <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're they're pushing beers that are going to sell to the masses. Yes, pretty and then, much. And then the head brewer, the brewmaster, will develop the recipe, and the worker drones don't really get too much say. Gotcha. So I started looking elsewhere for a job. Uh, uh, turns out Squatters and Wasatch, the Utah Brewers Cooperation, uh, those two breweries came together a long time ago to open up a production facility where they can make each other's beer, can it, sell it. Well, they were hiring for a brewer. Uh, so I applied, did the interview there. John Lee gave me a chance, uh, uh, started brewing. Uh, it turns out I was like one of the fastest guys to get trained in the brew house there. You know, I, my training was like 10 days working. Oh, wow. And they're like, well, I guess we'll let you work on your own, see how you do. But I mean, I love it so much that I f- like 100% of my focus was right there at work. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. I love it. I better focus. I want to make sure everybody sees that like they did not make any mistake at all hiring me. So what's nice about Squatters and Wasatch in the co-op, uh, it's a lot smaller. Like they had a really tight crew back then. This was in 2017. Uh, you know, I just, I was a full-time brewer. That's all I was doing. I wasn't doing any cellar work or anything like that. And at this time you got your certifications? And- yes. So at this time I had both of my IBD certifications and I was doing a little bit of the SIBA work. Uh, that's also when I got like Cicerone level one and two done. That's, you know, that's just... Cicero certified is, you know, basics about beer and how to describe it. Like, oh yeah, it's this style. This is, uh, this is the color it should be. This is what it should taste like, you know, just general stuff. Gotcha. Now I did that for about two years working at the co-op and then uh, strap tank, the Lehigh facility was opening up. Is strap tank, is this another brewery? Yes. This, okay. the, this is the brewery that I'm currently, <laughs> currently working at. So Strap Tank was opening in August of 2019, and one of the old head brewers I worked with at Uinta was now the brewmaster of Strap Tank, running or getting ready to run and operate both facilities. So he reached out and he's like, "Hey, I heard you're like you know brewing and all that stuff. Are you looking to move somewhere else, like on a small scale, like really small?" So Uinta makes. Yeah, at the time, like 100,000 barrels a year. Squatters and Wasatch were making sixty to 75,000 barrels a year. It, describe what a barrel One is. One barrel is 31 gallons. Okay. So that's, that's the, uh, it, God, just like trying to walk through everybody, like what these barrel sizes are. So you think of like a normal wood barrel, mm-hmm. the, like the barrel aging stuff where like bourbon and whiskey and things like that. That's actually like 55 to 58 gallons. Gotcha. Then they got wine barrels that are like 70 to 90. And it's like, all, but one American barrel like measured at the brewery is 31 gallons. Wow. Okay. So, so we're going from, uh, you went to that makes how many barrels a they, year? At the time, they were right up towards 100,000 to Squatters and Wasatch, which were making about 60 to 75, right around there. And then the Strap Tank, which the original Strap Tank in Springville at the time was making 700 barrels a year. Oh, wow. So like, that is yeah, a... itty bitty. So Springville has a 10-barrel system where Uinta had the 120-barrel system, and then Squatters and Wasatch had a 60-barrel system. So this is like pocket sized. <laughs> yeah, you're going from it seems like your journey and not not like an insulting way or anything, but you're going from like a real huge company down to smaller companies, mm-hmm. but you're getting more control. So, yes. So, at, when I started at uh the Strap Tank in Lehigh, uh that that's a 15 barrel system, so it's 50% larger than the Springville facility, and I was hired there to really brew, do all the cellar work, kegging, cleaning the whole 9 yards at that one location. 
which you think it's a lot of work, but really when you think of the size of it, and I mean, I've been at this point, I've been doing this for six, seven years. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's just repetitive. You know, this is just muscle memory kind of stuff. And I was just at it hit like right out the gate, you know, in like 2019, just killing it. Uh, I still wanted to be more part of like the development of the beers. I was still following somebody's orders. Well, COVID happened about six months later. And during the COVID shutdown, since we're a brewery restaurant, you know, you know, most of our sales are draft. You know, that's like 95% of our sales are draft. So we ended up shutting down for that five, six weeks. And during that time, the brewmaster decided he wanted to explore other employment opportunities and kind of change up what he was doing. He didn't really want to be a brewer anymore. He wanted to move on, do something else. Like a midlife crisis or something? Yeah, kind of. I mean, he... He started, you can tell towards the end of his brewing days that his heart just wasn't, just wasn't there. quite there as, as it once was. He wasn't getting as excited over certain beers. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a bummer when, when you see that in a brewer and they're like, you know, all right, we'll do, you know, we'll make this. And they're not really caring. Like you can taste it in the beer. Like, yeah, it's, it's just a huge bummer. Now he yeah. ended up leaving and yeah, the the ownership at Strap Tank are like, well, can you handle everything while we look for uh, another head brewer? I'm like, you don't have to look anywhere. Like, yeah, I can handle this. And like, all right, well, we'll give you a shot. Like, we, we won't hire anybody for a little while. We'll let you and Julia. Julia Schuler is my my head brewer in Springville. She takes care of Springville. It's amazing. She's like, you know, she's my other leg. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's great. Like we have such a great relationship. She makes awesome beer. But we decided together, we're like, hey, let's just take care of our own facilities for the moment. And we'll talk to each other like every Monday and every Friday. And we'll make sure we know what each other's doing. Make sure if anybody needs help, like, yeah, we'll 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 do our best and we'll see what we can do. Well, this now is like two months into after COVID and we just opened. Well, now it's time to make beer because we had all that beer just sitting there. So my first week or first couple of weeks back at work, you know, there's not a lot going on because we had tanks full of beer that were still, you know, was good. that still viable beer? Yeah, or like still you good. Can... Like you know, the shelf life on most beers four to like twelve months. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, and we were tasting everything, and we're like, well, we can't really dump it because we we're going to lose money, and we just lost, you know, a million dollars per location for being closed down for six weeks. So we're like, all right, well, we'll just start selling this beer, see what we can do. And it came time to actually write my first recipe and release a beer. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do a beer that I've been trying to get people to brew for a long time. And it was uh, our orange hopsicle. So I decided to do like a New England style IPA version. New England style IPAs or hazy IPAs or juicy IPAs. They're, people love them because they're way less bitter than normal like West Coast IPAs or English style IPAs. And they're just loaded with these juicy hops. So lots of citrus, mango, pineapple flavored hops that you get. Um, I'm like, well, fuck it. You know, let's just do an orange creamsicle IPA. I have these hops, these mandarin and Bavaria hops that give off a lot of orange flavor and orange aromatic. We're going to brew it with lactose sugar to make it a little bit sweet. And we're going to add some fresh vanilla bean and then dry hop it with even more mandarin and Bavaria and fresh orange peel. So I did. And I just went for it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll put that on draft, and still to this day, that's the fastest-selling beer strap tanks ever had. Really? 
we sold out of that beer. We made 15 barrels of it and it sold out in three weeks. Wow. That's is, awesome. This is post COVID. So that was a huge, like huge, like, uh, what, what am I trying to say here? Like, like just boosts of confidence yeah, for you. Yeah. Cause <laughs> you're, they're letting you just do it, go for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the interview phase kind of too. like, let's see if Derek works out on this. And then were, bit, were you yeah. nervous about releasing the uh, beer? Were you like, Oh yeah. For like the very first beer, like, yeah, nervous as hell because it's really the first one that is like 100% mine. Like I've, I've been a part of some pretty big beers around the area. Like I was, a, I you know, I helped kind of develop the juicy from squatters. You know, that was, I was there with Mark Robinson and everything. We're talking about this beer. I'm like, well, I've, me personally, I would do stuff like this, uh, also soups, juice, and you know some other random beers. But yeah, this is the first big one that it's on you. This one's one hundred percent of the way. Like you write the recipe, you mash in, you boil this, you transfer it, you pitch the like the whole nine yards. So did you? Were you the first to try it? Oh yeah. And, and were, did I, you know? Were you like? Yes. I got it. Well, I started trying it along the way. I'm like, this might actually be a pretty cool thing, and got it all done put it on draft and went up there the first day that we put a new beer on. And, you know, the people that are regulars that were there like, Oh, Hey, finally a new beer. It's been, you know, four months. Like, yeah, we've been waiting for all Wait. this other beer to get, <laughs> get sold. So, uh, right out the gate, like that first day I watched like a handful of the regulars and the, every, you know, the, at the bar, it had to be every other person or whatever, that distancing issue. Oh yeah. And I'm just watching the bar. At one point I looked down and the 12 people that were at our like, you know, 30 person bar, we have two different bar sections and every single one of them had a mug of it. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. And everybody's just drinking it, you know, like kind of like, Oh, all right. And talking to the bartenders and everyone's getting multiple. And I'm like, well, all right. The first day we sold almost a full barrel. So almost 31 gallons in the first day, which is huge. And how uh, big is uh, that facility? Is this, you're just selling that in the restaurant side? Yes. So oh, wow. uh, both strap tanks, we do pretty much just draft only. Like we do some high gravity bottled options because, you know, Utah, you can't have anything over 5% on draft. So if we have an IPA that we do, a 7% IPA, because, you know, everyone loves IPAs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We do a oatmeal stout that's seven percent. We do a saison that's seven percent, and a couple of barrel aged beers. But you know the IPA really sells more than everything. Yeah, and th- yeah. so th- this is on tap. Though this is the like, or yeah, on- the orange hop school is on draft. Yeah, and we bring it back every June. Like cause that was when it was released was the end of June. So I bring it back every year. I think it's a beautiful summertime beer. You know, it, when you think summer and it's hot, you're like, oh. I'll, I'll eat an ice cream. Oh, yeah. Well, I turn it into a beer. So <laughs> management's got to be ecstatic with you, right? Yeah. That so you just made this, this time, number one like, selling beer. The the owners of Strap Tank, you know, they open up Strap Tank. They don't know how to brew beer, and they don't really care how it's made. You know, They opened it because they went to a brewery. They were going to open up a steakhouse. Well, they went to a brewery, and they loved the atmosphere. They saw everybody around and the, the way the brew house and the fermentation vessels, everything. It looks really cool. Yeah, it does. It it piques your interest just looking at it. You're like, whoa, what are those? Those are huge. Uh, the, as long as I make their light loggers, like I make a, a Lehigh lights, like our Michelob Ultra for for Lehigh. Gotcha. And then uh, Flathead, our American lager. So we got you know the Bud Light and Budweiser, just you know way better tasting. <laughs> way better tasting. <laughs> yeah. But we have those options, and then all the other beer. You know, I have full reign. I I get to make and decide and choose exactly what we make and how it's done like i have full control to this day they still have not came to me and be like uh we don't like the direction you're going 
because uh, I, you know, I don't just make beers for me to drink. Mm-hmm. I make beers for everybody. You know, my goal is that there's something on draft for every single person, whether or not you like beer. I, I've brought so many people in and so many people drinking beer. Like, oh, I just don't like beer. I'm like, well, have you tried stuff like this? And I give them one of our like, you know, fruited sours that's you know lightly soured. I'm like, oh yeah, I can drink this. I'm like, yeah, well, there's always something for everybody. And then we have, uh, you know, we don't personally make them. Our friends over at Grid City in Salt Lake, it's another brewery. Well, they make a bunch of wine seltzer hybrids. Because that was a thing with seltzers. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I refuse to make seltzers. I, I don't want to lose a line for beer. I would rather outsource it and serve it out of a, out of a can. There's just not a, lot of, uh, not a lot of love that goes into making seltzer. Gotcha. You know, it is just fermented sugar water and then some flavoring. You know, yeah. There's nothing fun about that. It was always when I was drinking um, back in the day, I guess I would say, um, seltzers always tasted like like a soda or something to me. Yeah, like, like the club sodas. Yeah, and, something yeah, like just that. Just like no sweetness at all. Well, mm-hmm. Grid City makes uh, these different seltzers that are wine seltzer hybrids. So they get great fruit and like great like wine yeast and things like that. They do a rosé that is just out of control awesome. They have an elderflower one. Well, we buy them from them and sell them out of our bar because, you know, we have a full bar license. So yeah. so we do that. And so we have the gluten-free option right there. We also have a couple of ciders, you know, just in case people don't like the, the seltzer stuff or beer. But we do have something for everybody that is locally made, and handcrafted in the state of Utah. I, I want to go back to what you, you kind of said that some people, like you make a beer for everyone and mm-hmm. like you always like bring people in that are like, I don't like beer. Whenever I hear someone that, because I still love beer, like I miss beer so much. Yeah. <laughs> but whenever I would like hear someone, I was like, oh yeah, what beers have you tried? Like, oh, like Natural Light and Bud Light. I'm like, that's <laughs> not beer. Like it's beer, but you know what I mean? Beer. yeah. <laughs> But when it comes to light beer, like there's so many other options for light beer when someone wants Bud Light or something. I'm like, dude, get a German light beer, you know, just a, an actual beer with flavor that's made with, you know, good barley, something that you you, you enjoy and it's thirst quenching. But, you know, since you don't light uh, or since you don't drink anymore, I mean, the non-alcoholic stuff is coming out like crazy. Oh, is it? Like, and they're getting better and better and better. Like sometimes um, I'm actually pretty shocked that some of these beers are out like non out like non-alcohol um like athletic brewing company out of uh where is it uh southern california like they have so many different options and i've tried a handful of them like you know like i i can tell it's you know it's not the beer that i want yeah but it's been helping out so many people that you know, quit drinking or you know, got to stop the with alcohol, mm-hmm. but they just miss beer itself. So they have like porters, they got gold nails, they got some IPAs, they make some sours. And then you get into like the whole kombucha thing too, for people that, you know, don't want alcohol, but want the sour and a little bit of vinegar like. Yeah, I've tried you know, that stuff before. Yeah, but That's the funny. athletic brewing company is like, they're doing a pretty good job. Uh, they actually turned the non-alcohol beer style like into an actual style now uh, for like JBF, the Great American Beer Fest and World Beer Cup, like two of the largest competitions in the world. Well, athletic brewing company keeps winning. And the first time I saw this style category pop up, there was like 15 entries. Well, this most previous one in October, uh, there was like almost 90 entries for the non-alcoholic. And I'm like, okay, so more and more people are going towards that style. People like to take months off from drinking, but 
if you at least taste the beer, sometimes that's all you need is just the, you know, the little, the little mind fuck going on. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's kind of tricking you a little placebo effect. Uh, you know, people are loving it. And I, I think they actually started making a non-alcoholic vodka too. Oh, wow. That's and crazy. I'm like, how, the, <laughs> like, how are you going to do it? So it's just water, right? It's like, <laughs> is that all it is? Like, it just really blew my mind. But, yeah. You know, my, my owners asked me if I wanted to like try and do a non-alcoholic. Uh, that's something that's completely out of like my knowledge base at the moment. Like mm-hmm. I can look into it. It's just a little a little too far in the future for Utah at the moment. But yeah. I think in the next five or 10 years, like uh, there'll be a couple of breweries here offering some non-alcoholic options. Utah is pretty good, uh, pretty good and big in the um, small crafting of beer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Don't we have quite a few? Yeah, we we're we're booming now. So 10 years ago, you know, there was a handful of breweries in Utah. Now, just in the Salt Lake Valley, we're in the 30s, and there's new ones popping up once or twice a year. So we're getting there's more and more, uh, like over by Fisher Brewing Company in Salt Lake. They were they were kind of like the staple, the ones that really opened up the the like draft only hangout, 21 and older, and all we serve is beer, like no food or anything. We're gonna have a food truck outside if you get hungry, but all we have is five percent and under beer. And they absolutely killed it. Like, as soon as they opened, everybody, all the industry is like, we're going to Fisher to hang out. And for a minute there, like, you'd have to wait in line to get in. You know, they started with, like, 12 different beers. And you go in there, like, four months after they opened, they have, like, three beers left because they're waiting on all their all their tanks to finish fermenting. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, I, and, I passed by there not too long ago. And their patio area is oh, just booming. They're always booming. And they just bought the building next to them. So they're expanding. They're getting a few more tanks. Uh, it's going to open up for another like 200 seats in there, and they're just going to continue to grow. Well, since Fisher opened up in that area, uh, Templin Family Brewing opened up right around the corner. Keto's opened up right around the corner. There's proper brewing. That's like all this is all within walking distance of each other. Oh yeah, I love the proper brewing company. I used to always drink their beers and go get a um, burger there. Yeah, that's the proper burger. burgers. Yeah, yeah, they're good. Yeah. <laughs> the the Sundance Kid, man. I oh, love yeah, that burger. man. They just got chili, like the chili cheese Fritos on the freaking yep. barbecue burger. Yeah. Yeah, they got good food and good beer. Um, So this is kind of interesting to me because I didn't know this. So the draft beers in Utah have to be 5% or below. Yes. And that is that... Because so, of Utah regulation? Yeah, that's that's the Utah regulation, the Utah law. Originally, it was the 4%. Uh, that changed in 2019. Uh, we got the 1% increase to 5%, uh, mainly because the big beer companies like Coors and uh, Anheuser-Busch, things like that, well, they decided they were no longer going to make the 4% alcohol by volume beers for Utah. I think it was Utah, Minnesota, Kentucky, and Colorado. Surprisingly, Colorado. Yeah, I'm surprised with Kentucky, the bourbon capital of the world. I believe it was Kentucky. Uh, I'm like 75% sure it was Kentucky. But there was only the four states. Mm -hmm. So two of those states decided they weren't going to do the 4% beer in gas stations and grocery store anymore. They were just going to let loose. Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors were like, you know what? We're not going to continue making this. Utah, you either have to start selling uh, these gravity beers in your gas stations and grocery stores, or you're going to have to like put it all in your liquor stores. Well, Utah would have to open up another like thousand liquor stores to handle the amount of like beer of just Budweiser and Coors and things like that that need to be five percent. 
So Utah is like, okay, we'll we'll give the one percent increase. So we went from four percent to five percent, which I mean, it opened the door a lot for a lot of different styles. You know, we can properly brew like Vienna lagers and Dunkles now, which those religiously are like four point seven to five and a half percent. Also, we have the federal law of the plus or minus 0.3 percent alcohol by volume or alcohol by weight. Uh, is that never, like an error? Yeah, ratio? you know, you never know what your yeast is going to do. We're pretty good about hitting our numbers, mm-hmm. but every now and then you'll get a, a yeast strand that just works a little bit better. Uh, sometimes it'll be 5.3 percent. Sometimes it'll be a little bit under at 4.7. So they have that little leeway, the plus or minus 0.3. So, so who checks that? Is that the feds that come in and check that or the state? Uh, they can. Uh, really, like, I have never had any of our beers checked. Doesn't mean that I'm making 6 or 7% beer and putting mm-hmm. it on draft because the second someone finds out about that, your, your yeah. license is gone. Yeah, and that, you know, there goes your business. There goes yeah, your job. You don't even like, want to play around you know, with that. Strap Tank Brewery. It's not, you know, Strap Tank Restaurant. You know, yeah. Now we have no liquor license, no production license. So we're all pretty good about making these beers exactly what they need to be. Uh, the DABS, uh, well, now it's the DABS, the Department of Alcohol Beverage Services, no longer beverage control. <laughs> when did they change that? Uh, recently. It was this oh, year. Oh, really? Yeah. So every now and then, they'll pull a beer off one of their shelves and send it in to get tested, make sure that it's within uh, what the label says it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, I can't think of any time that the DABS has ever gone to anybody's brewery to pull a sample of Oh, yeah, like directly from the yeah, tanks themselves. Yeah, because what they would have to do is come to us. They would have to package this beer. They'd have to send it to a third party, get it tested, and pay for the like all these results and everything. I think they just kind of pay attention to the people themselves because you could tell someone's got a ten percent alcohol beer on draft. Oh, yeah. you, know, you get two of them in you, and, and you're you're buzzing. Yeah, you're you're way over the limit. You know, with, I love. I mean, I love the five percent and under law. I love it because the five percent beer; those are my favorite beers. You know, I can have two of them. You know, like when I'm off work, you know, hanging out with a couple of my workers and everything, and we have two beers, and I can drive back home like still legally under the Utah's .05 limit. Mm-hmm. You know, I get home and I'm like, all right, well, that was fun. Now I can actually have beer. <laughs> yeah, I'll save the stronger stuff for home. Yeah. But, you know, I love the 5% and under. You know, a lot of breweries don't. <laughs> like, I mean, there's some arguing whether, like, you have, like, like our barrel-aged stuff that's, like, 10%. It sucks because it's in a 16-ounce bottle, so you're giving somebody 16 ounces of this 10%. Uh, why not have it on draft where we can give it to them in, a, like, 8-ounce glass? Yeah, no kidding. And regulate it that way. You know, the DABS in the state of Utah doesn't see it that way. They're like, oh, no, so, you know, people will drink more when it's on draft, but like, well, not really. Like, I would drink way less. Like, honestly, I would rather have it that way than I can taste one or two things and then get an Uber home. <laughs> yeah, know? instead of having a 16-ounce, like yeah. you said. Um, do you find that, because people abroad probably don't know this, but Utah's got some of the oddest and weirdest liquor laws Yes, nation, we, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. We have a we have a lot of weird ones. Like we had a an issue earlier this year, where I guess they read this law wrong with our growler fills. So our growlers, you know, it's a sixty four ounce or a thirty two ounce vessel that people will fill up at the brewery of one of the draft beers, and we cap it, and they can walk out the door and take it home, which is a nice way of sending our beer off with people. 
well, they tried to, like, the DABS tried to be like, oh, you know, we read the law wrong. Um, this license, you cannot do that. And she's like, okay, well, we're a production facility. But they're like, yeah, but you have a, a restaurant liquor license. I'm like, but I have a production license. Like, I, I don't understand what the issue here is. So they shut down all growler sales for like 70% of all the breweries in Utah. Oh, wow. And it was a huge deal. They got like the DBS and the state of Utah got lit up. Oh, I bet. They reversed that so damn fast. Like it lasted, I don't know, 36 hours. And we all got the email like, yeah, yeah DBS, they, they reversed it. They're <laughs> like, backing off. Yeah, 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 it's fine. I mean, I remember going to... Uh, I think it was Wasatch and getting growlers all the time from their brewery down there off of, uh, what's that? Yeah. The Wasatch and there's one, there's one in park city. The original is in park city. Then they have one in sugar house. Uh, they have the that, squatters downtown. I think it was the squatters downtown. Then I would get the, the one that was on uh, like 200 South or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Or one, the one forty seven. That's the, yeah. The 147 West building. Wow, and they just the amount of backlash. They were just like, okay. Oh yeah, they're like, oh yeah, no, no, sorry, uh, we we were wrong, I guess. Yeah, they got lit up, and that's a that's a huge part of our sales. Like being the draft only, we don't like sell beer and bottles to go. Uh, we sell on average or refill on average like twenty to fifty growlers a day, and that's you know sixty four ounces of beer each time, and that's big sales for us oh yeah and people get to take it home and share it with their friends and that you know that gets their friends on board and they're like hey let's go check out strap tank i tried one of their beers so you guys don't make any bottled stuff currently oh uh, we do just the high gravity oh, stuff okay. so the ip like the seven percent ipa stout saison and the barrel aged stuff do you guys have that in stores currently uh, or in just, stores. just in your facility we, uh in lehigh we can only sell it at the bar because this is another one of utah's fun liquor things um in Lehigh, the city of Lehigh has the okay us, uh, give us the okay to sell our bottle beer to go. They were requiring a like an enclosed area with a cooler and somebody of the age of 21 and older to sell these beers to go. Uh, we have no space for that. Like we that would cut our waiting room in half and then people would be waiting outside oh, yeah. and that that's not okay but springville is totally okay with it just having a cooler out front and selling it to go so we sell our high gravity stuff to go in springville just not in lehigh yeah it's a it's yeah it's all lower the damn place trying to keep up with everything oh yeah i can i can only imagine not only do you have the weird state laws but then the city has each yeah like you know, the city, can, like we can get the okay through the state, and then the city can turn around and be like, oh, no, no, we're not going to allow that. <laughs> Just like giving us a, an actual packaging agency license. You know, Lehigh doesn't want us to bottle there because they think we're going to have trucks coming in and out. And I'm like, um, when we bottle, we're only getting like two pallets worth of glass that we sell in house. Yeah. And that's it. Like, then there's no trucks. Like, there's no trucks at all. They fit inside of our cooler. <laughs> So it was I, that's that's um, that amazes me that a city wouldn't want a local restaurant brewery to do better. It's just more revenue for them in the long run. It is, but it's also you know but, we're we're fighting that downhill battle in Utah County. That's the big uh, thing. Yeah, you know, it's the Utah County aspect. Uh, I was surprised that you know these breweries actually popped up in Utah County. Yeah, yeah no like kidding. You're in the first strap tank open up in 2016, all the way out in Springville. I never thought for a second there would be a brewery out in Springville, not for at least another 20 or 30 years. Then getting the word that they're opening up in Lehigh, I'm like, 
well, that's close enough. I can drive to that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how long has Strap Tank been in business now? So the original was open June of 2016. The Lehigh was open in uh, August of 2019. Our St. George location will hopefully be opening up by the end of 2023. And then we have plans for two more locations. Oh, wow. So you guys are growing. Yeah. That's, so, that's yeah, good. It's, man. it's doing very well. Like, you know, like I said earlier, the original amount of uh, barrels that we were selling a year was 700. Now with the two facilities, we brew between 1600 to 2000. Does each facility have its own brewing capabilities? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you don't have yep. to ship beer to a facility. You know, it just we, is made. We, we do a little bit of shipping. I brew all the loggers in our facility because we have uh, we have two tanks that are 30 barrel tanks, which is you know, three times the size of the Springville ones. So we fill those up with our loggers and, you know, we take care of them in Lehigh and every so many weeks we'll do a keg run. We'll just keg a whole bunch off and we'll send it to Julie's brewery that way. She doesn't get bottlenecked with her four tanks when I have six. Yeah. So it's a lot easier for me to juggle beers. It's not as easy for her. So she mainly brews ales because they finish fermentation so much quicker. Like the loggers, uh, you have to give the loggering time, which is like four weeks of just aging and resting before. Like it's just beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Takes a little while. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself looking back from where you are now? Because you're 33 or you're 32? Uh 34. I'm 34. You're 34 now? I am 34. Yeah, I'm 34 now. 34 all the way. So you're almost, you're a little over 10 years in this. You started when you were 23, right? Yes. That's when I first started home brewing. Home brewing. Uh, Doing this professionally, it's been about nine years. Nine, yeah, coming up on nine years. So do you look back and say, wow, man, I've come a long way with this from being (laughs) in a home brewery situation to packaging bottles for you and to to now being the head brewmaster for a local, you know, pub. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm in my thirties. That's what it, but yeah, uh, no, it's, I do look back like often thinking like, you know, starting on the packaging line and how crazy it was just being like that, the literally the lowest of the low level working in the industry, uh, with hopes and dreams of getting to where I'm at now. And then literally just working from the ground all the way up. You know, I've worked my ass off like this entire time. You know, I've had weeks where I've worked 70 hours plus trying to get to where I'm at. And now I got a killer brew crew. Uh, everything's ran exactly how we all want. We're all in complete agreement. Nobody's left out of anything. Uh, we don't make a decision like just by myself, you know, I pull everybody together and be like, Hey, what's, what, what direction do you think? What's everybody's feelings and thoughts and like how we're doing right now? And what, what beers are we going to make for this competition? What, what beers do we not like this year? You know, we're going to, we're about to have our end of year meeting where we're going to talk about basically every single beer. That's not one of our core beers and decide whether or not we're going to continue making stuff like that or go a complete different direction. When you say core beer, is that like beers? Those that are the beers that we make the, all the all time, time yeah. all year. And we uh, we make like an American wheat because everybody likes an American wheat. They like putting the orange peel in there. So uh, we do the Lehigh Light. That's our light American lager. So I think it's like 92 calories per pint or whatever. It's 4.2%. It's, you know... Utah County loves it. Yeah. Then our American lager flathead that, you know, that's like 4.9%. 
Uh, we make a session IPA that's available all year round because, you know, people love IPAs. Got to keep that on. Uh, we make one of the best ones after I fixed it and took over. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this awesome. <laughs> yeah. I want everybody to love this. And now we can't brew enough of it, which is a real pain in the ass because it's a pretty big dry hop. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a fun beer. Then we have Ape Hanger, which is a, another one of our like IPAs, but this is one of the hazy styles. So way less bitter, but all the hop aromatics are just out of control. And then we make a nitro stout. So those are like six core beers. So we have an option for everybody. You know, we've got the IPA and the hop heads covered. We got the light beer drinkers covered. Then we got the dark beer covered. And then, you know, the wheat beer, someone that wants to throw fruit in there. Uh, we generally will always have a sour on, but we will rotate with the sours. You know, right now we have uh, one that's called Millions of Peaches. And it's just a Philly sour ale with a metric fuck ton of fresh pure, like peach puree. Like there's so many peaches in there. That was, I don't think I'll ever do that beer again. Cause there's so much peaches that I'm like dumping through the fermenter, like his bags beyond bags of these. Um, the next sour will be a sour IPA. And then we're going to do a strawberry rhubarb pie, like, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Have any of your beers won in any of these competitions or anything yeah. they do? I got two gold medals earlier this year. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, our Ricardo Negra, that's our American Amber Lager. Uh, that one gold medal at the NABA competition in Idaho. So that's the largest brewing competition on like the West Coast. It's the North American Brewers Association. And then I did a collaboration, or um, you know, our team did a collaboration with uh, Bewilder Brewing in Salt Lake, and we made a We Heavy, and we put that into Idaho as well. So we both got a gold medal for that because we we put that in the collaboration style. So it went up against. You know, double IPAs, sours. It went up against everything, and a wee heavy one gold. And we're like, Fuck. wow, that's all right. That's <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah. So, and my Vienna Lager is just haunting me. It's like, you know, spitting in my face right now. Is a uh, last year's GABF. It went to the medal round, so it made it top six out of two hundred. And then this year, World Beer Cup, it made top six out of like almost three hundred. And then GABF this year, it made top six again. So you're so just it's like, yeah, it's biting like, it's the like right there. And I keep seeing Vienna Lager, Metal Round, Vienna Lager, Metal Round. I'm like, oh my God, man. It's, <laughs> it's right there. So I know I make one of the best Vienna Lagers around. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I mean, it, it is super cool. But getting a medal or a plaque from World Beer Cup and uh, Great American Beer Festival, that's, you know, that's our team's goal. You know, not... Not just because we want the medal, but we want like what what the medal actually brings is the recognition and being called an award winning brewery. That's what a lot of people gravitate to, and we all agreed that as soon as one of these beers win, there's no sense in sending it back. Like you know, we'll keep making the same recipe with you know itty bitty little tweaks every now and then, but then we're gonna move into the next style, and you know as soon as we start meddling on all these different styles, now we gotta a wall just full of different metals like oh well they won in american amber they won the collaboration they won american fruited sour they went like you know just knocking down and be like oh my god so they're actually awesome at making all these beers not just one in particular wow that that's dude that's crazy that's a big accomplishment for you i mean what what are your goals and plans from this point forward are you just looking to stay with the 
current company or well, I'll be I'll be with Strap Tank until it's time for me to do my own thing. Yeah. You know, and the you know, they they've taken great care of me. I have a great brew team. There's no sense in me trying to leave at all right now. Like there's really isn't. Like I'm super happy with where I'm at and where our team is. Uh but the next thing is yeah, my own. Yeah, you know, I was so going to say that's meantime, what I was going to ask. Yeah, do you yeah. ever envision of doing oh, your yeah, own? We've, we've got we've got tons of plants. It's just you know the the time is not right at the moment everything's super expensive right now and oh, yeah. you know like interest rates are through the roof so yeah we're just you know we'll be patient you know I'm, we're in no hurry like we're just still somewhat young <laughs> i can still get up and walk around oh no i only have you, so much gray hair <laughs> for being in the position you're at is, is that kind of odd are you one of the youngest brewmasters uh, in utah or are there are people around your age i think doing so, it as well? uh, kinda uh I mean, there's head brewers that are like in their mid twenties and stuff, just you know, fresh out the gate at 21, started brewing and whatever. In Utah, uh, you know, having the brewmaster position, I do think of myself as like a master head brewer. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. the brewmaster. You know, I'm like I'm like right there. You know, I've learned like I I know the brewing industry in and out and exactly how everything is done because I was so fortunate doing the bottling line, the cellar, brew house, being trained and working with some of the like best known brewers in the state of Utah. You know, I got my chance to work a little bit with Kevin Ely, got to work with John Lee from Squatters and Wasatch, uh, Patrick Boric, he you know, now has his own thing over at Offset. Uh, Nils, like all these dudes that have been brewing and operating for so long. I was just so fortunate to be with them and learn so much. So yeah, me being like my age, it, it is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, some of these guys didn't get the position until their you know early forties, or like even even other companies, you know, still like you know mid fifties and yeah. stuff before they hit things like that. But you know, I I've just focused so hard on like this and this only. You yeah, know, like, you're like, eat, you know, medical sleep. stuff. It's like, I, I don't remember any, any of kind of medical stuff anymore. <laughs> like, I still remember how to throw a tourniquet on. Yeah. Like, I, I can do that. <laughs> Did you ever envision yourself being here when you were getting out of the military or you? Had no, no. Uh, you know, like I said, my plans were to stick on emergency medicine kind of side. Uh, you know, I started, did the EMT stuff pretty much as soon as I got out. But then started brewing and I, I the whole plan to go like paramedic and things like that. I'm like, yeah, out the window. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't want to do that anymore. Like the brewing's fun. Dude, that's so awesome that you found a passion and made it into a career. Like from going in to making it at home to now you're making it for thousands of people. Yeah. It, it was a struggle. It, it's it's a tough industry to stay in if you're you're having like money issues that's for sure you know starting it on the packaging line is you know that's nothing you know that's like that's like less than fast food money wow you know and it 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 took some discipline and a lot of hard work to you know start actually making like money at it you know it does take quite a while but you know i I loved it and I didn't want to stop doing it. So, and I invested so much time and effort and schooling. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to stick with it. And now we're, now we're sitting pretty. The place is great. Like, you know, we're, I, I feel like I've succeeded in life so far. You know, I'm buying a new car in a couple of days. You know, like, woohoo. Oh, really? <laughs> what are you going for? Oh, I, we've ordered a RAV4 like seven months ago, the hybrid. Oh, one. awesome. Since I work in Lehigh and I live in Salt Lake, yeah. like, I should probably get a good gas mileage vehicle. Yeah, right. April, on the other hand, she's like, 
I'm getting a 1966 Chevy Impala. So she bought that. And I'm like, all right, I'll have the hybrid and you can have the hey, it's seven a, miles to the gallon. It's a killer looking <laughs> car though. Man. Yeah, it, thing... it's super awesome. She's let me drive it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. No, it's a, you just got to stick with it. You know, and I stuck with it for almost 10 years and now it's finally starting to pay off. Yeah, it's that. I mean, you show that persistence and that dedication, and it obviously shows that you, like you said earlier, you were like, "I want to show these people that I can do this," and you know they can rely on me. And now oh, you're yeah. you've yeah. made one of their yeah. most popular beers or their most popular yeah, beer. We, we got we got a whole bunch of popular beers now. Like on average, we burn through our batches of beer in about a month and a half, like each one, which is great uh, compared to like three or four months. It was. But now, yeah, every beer we every beer we make is just a knock out of the park. I've got to ask you a question on beers. It's uh, one of those preference questions because it is around that time. I don't think they're selling them anymore in the store. But pumpkin beer is that a? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, so we still have one on draft. Yeah, uh, pumpkin beer. It's always going to be around. Uh, it's it's just a fall season kind of thing. You know, you you will not go looking for a pumpkin beer any time besides fall yeah that's just not a thing so if you don't sell out of your pumpkin beer by you're the just, time december 1st rolls around you're done it's going to be sitting on the shelf and sitting in your tank and it's like okay well i guess we can start using it for beer batter <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> but other other spice beers like you know april gave us this great idea to make a wassail beer wassail yeah. beer uh have you ever had wassail it's that uh-uh. so it's a it's a drink during like thanksgiving or the holiday season whatever it's like uh, cider, pineapple juice, cinnamon, and vanilla. Wow. So we're turning it into a beer, and I brewed two small batches. Like these are little test runs. Mm-hmm. But the beers are fermenting right now, and I pulled a couple of samples. I'm like, oh my god, I think I just fucked up and made a a new fall time beer that people are going to start making all across the country because it is it's surprisingly awesome. Really like, good, huh? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm worried because it, it's kind of a bitch and a half to make because you have to get all the cider. You have to calculate all the different types of sugars that are there. So you got the maltose sugar that we're making with our grain and barley and our wheats. Then you have the pineapple fructose, which are different saccharides, uh, different saccharide chains compared to the fructose sugar that's in the apple cider. So I'm making basically a fruited beer cider wine hybrid kind of thing. And the calculations, I was surprised I was so close. I, 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 I was within like just a couple of gravity points, but I was shocked. And then you have to think about how much fresh vanilla bean you have to use and cinnamon sticks. Like, is that going in hot side? Am I going to do cold side? Like, what if, I really had no idea where to even start. So we worked on this recipe for a couple of months and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going with my gut on the cinnamon and vanilla. And I did just went with my gut and I'm smelling it. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> Just, yeah, the brewing sense kicked in, and this beer is going to be fucking awesome. When's this one releasing? Uh, this one should be released right around Thanksgiving, and oh, it'll be, be awesome. at both locations. Just small system. So we're only going to have a handful of kegs for each location. Probably like, I think, a bar- yeah, barrel per location. That's all we're going to have. So two. So very limited. Kegs, yeah. So it will be limited, but it's going to last like maybe four or five days because everyone's going to love it. And I know the owners will probably be like, hey, uh, can you make that beer again? Like, like, well, yeah, it's a like 
it's, it's yeah it's, it's, it sounds it's like a lot good. of craft went into that one itself. yeah it, it, so we we just drunkenly started writing a recipe when april brought like brought up the idea she's like why don't you make a wassail beer and i'm like you know i'm like oh my god you're right <laughs> so i'm like right there you know i'm like a little like one eyed and i just busted out like this piece of paper and i start writing a recipe immediately just going to town and i look at the the paper in the morning and i'm like Good thing I could read my own handwriting. It was just a <laughs> shit show because I had notes every which direction. And I'm like, okay, brought it to work, put everything on the computer, and actually started writing a, a nice recipe. Uh, yeah, we finally got it in, in the tank. It's just fermenting. We'll probably taste it next week and decide whether or not we're going to add cranberry. Because that's another thing with the wassail drink. Sometimes people add cranberry, sometimes they won't. And I think cranberry will probably be a little bit more palatable on cold side versus hot side of brewing so we'll do we'll see well i yeah it's still kind of up in the air right now I, I i make a lot of calls like right before i do something like i, I, I change my mind a lot so <laughs> that's kind of cool though it adds a little bit of excitement to it yeah, i mean it, but then it can add the nerves to it as well like yeah i it, just it, fuck it, this all it annoys up. my brewers because sometimes they'll be making a beer that they've made you know 10 times and i come out of nowhere i'm like you didn't add any hops yet right and they're like what what? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, uh, we're actually going to use a little bit less of this hop. And in about 20 minutes, I want you to add some of this hop. And like, why? <laughs> you know, like, oh, here's why. <laughs> Are you guys sitting down? I'm about to fuck you up with some truth. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, we're doing this hop because this one will give that spicy edge versus this one a little too herbal. You know, and, and my brewers love me, but they also get annoyed when I do things like that just, just on the fly. They're like, okay, dude, you need to calm down sometimes. So I get excited. Like whenever we're brewing a beer that we've done a bunch of times, I will drink it throughout the day. You know, I'll go over to one of our tanks and try it, like just a little sample. I'll be drinking it because that's, that's where you pick up on the most is when you're actually trying it. And, cause you'll, and I'm really hard on all of our beers. Like nothing's ever perfect. It can always, there's always that last 10% that can you know, always be tweaked. Oh yeah. But I'll just start drinking it throughout the day. I'll drink it in the morning when I have a fresh palate before any coffee or any food or anything. Then I'll have one like a little bit after lunch, after I've eaten, just so I can taste it throughout the entire process. And I'll I'll make those random calls as I'm like eating lunch, be like, you know what? Actually, yeah, let's uh, let's go downstairs and adjust this a little bit. So it is a little annoying for my guys, but I mean, there's a there's a method to the madness. Yeah, there's there's definitely a craft to that. Well, hey, Derek, I want to thank you very much for coming on and kind of talking about all this with me. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> I get super excited when I see all your guys' social media posts. It seems like you guys have been going to a lot of shows and concerts and things oh, yeah. lately. We're always doing we're always doing something. Yeah, dude, it's very cool and getting cool cars and <laughs> all this stuff. Um, so I can't thank you enough for coming on here and talking beer and kind of the little ins and outs of the industry in this hour time we've had. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having I, me, man. Yeah, and I'd love <laughs> to have you on again in the future. And that's it, everybody, for this one. We'll catch you all later.